Welcome to the Back in Business podcast. I'm Mickey Clark and I've been broadcasting and writing for all best pals of 40 odd years. And I'm Liz Barkley and I've been broadcasting and writing about business for about half of the time that Mickey Clark has. <laughs> Cheeky muppet. <laughs> great to see great to see you on Zoom, Mickey. <laughs> Yeah, poor repair, but you're getting there. Um, we're a team of business journalists, small people, business, uh, small business people, and freelance contractors who are back in business and aiming to help others, particularly enterprising young people, get back in business. And we believe that small businesses and freelancers are the backbone of the UK economy, and that more needs to be done to help the approximately six million of us out there. And we want to hear from you, your stories, your experiences, the truth about your business or your contract and how you're coping with the virus outbreak. You'll find much more on our website, backinbusiness.org.uk. Join us and tell us your stories. It's the stories that count, stick and make the important points. Email us at contact us at backinbusiness.org.uk. Dot org dot uk and that's back in b-a-c-k-i-n business all one word no g via visit the website find us on linkedin or we're on twitter at business underscore back in um mickey what do you think of the events of this week we've we've had the bounce back loans and obviously they're extremely important for small businesses they do seem to be yeah. they seem to be working do they not I think they are. I mean, they seem to be. There seemed to be this belief when it first started, particularly with Rishi Sunak, that it was going to be a one-size-fits-all situation, which, of course, it isn't, because each business is different and identifiable in that way. So the original C-bills, basically, um, they weren't going to suit everybody. In fact, many, many people got turned away by the banks. I mean, the worst people in the world to go to to get a loan is a bank, <laughs> even though it's not their money. So well, I think would, this, this you, new one... Where would you have gone instead? <laughs> probably ask my mum and dad or something. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it needs must, basically. But certainly the, the bounce-back loans, I think are better able to, to suit people's demands, particularly with small businesses and those companies that are employing one or two people. And let's remember, it's those companies that make up the backbone of our economy. It's not the Vodafones and, you know, the, the ICIs, whatever they call themselves these days. It's, it's the small businesses. So, yeah, it's working. Um, let's hope that they get, there's enough there and that people find they're flexible enough to, to get them back when, when the, the recovery takes place. Well, there was also all that business about the furlough scheme, you know, and winding it down. Um, if it does get wound down too soon, we're going to see an awful lot of people who are, what, made redundant, ending up on universal credit? Well, I think a lot of people are being made redundant, and, and I think there are going to be a lot of businesses that basically won't be there. Um, when the lockdown ends it's as simple as that you look at the the pubs industry the entertainment industry that we talked about last week um, you know that isn't going to come out anytime soon uh, for health reasons and it's going to be the politicians and the scientists that dictate the pace of this not us Um, and that's a problem but I think if if they can keep businesses informed um, then so much the better at least they'll be able to, to to deal with it um, but at the moment, you know, we've seen some pretty big companies out there, General Electric, Airbus, Marks and Spencer, all saying, look, we're not going to suffer this again. We're going to take action. We're going to take action now. And of course, what that basically means is 
we're going to make people redundant and it's always the the workforce that suffers first well um i've been talking to a lot of people who run hotels people in tourism uh, people around the country who are desperately concerned that if they can't furlough their staff they've simply got no choice but to let them go and that means yeah cut costs i mean any business can cut costs i always used to say any fall can cut cut costs on a business it takes a real talent to actually grow a business um but you know you can understand businesses at the moment that are out there they've had three years of uncertainty with with brexit and that's still rumbling on but it pales into insignificance now about the backdrop of what's been going on with the economy and with businesses themselves and I think that's something that we've all got a steep learning curve to, to establish. Well, I'm sure Declan Curley, our business editor, will be able to tell us more about what's been going on this week. And we also have a businessman with us who applied for a bounce back loan this week. So we'll hear a lot more about that in a minute or two. But in the meantime, I have the chance to talk to the Shadow Chancellor. Now, Annalisa Dodds is not perhaps a household name um, as yet, but she's in the Shadow Chancellor's seat. And her leader, Keir Starmer, had called this week for a national consensus on dealing with COVID-19 in the UK. So I asked her what she thought he would like that consensus to cover. Yeah, so, so I think particularly from the economic side, we need to ensure that there's confidence, obviously within businesses, but also amongst employees and consumers about how we move out of lockdown as and when the decision is taken to do that. Obviously, a critical element of that is going to be around ensuring that safety guidelines are well understood, that they're encompassing of the different situations people find themselves at at work, and that there's a process for people to use if they feel their workplace may be unsafe or if they feel a business they're using is is operating in an unsafe way. Um, That confidence, I think, can only be built through consensus Obviously, we're saying it needs to be across parties, but it needs to be also across business, across trade union movement as well. If we don't have that, then we could potentially have much smaller numbers of people willing to go back to work. People worried about using different businesses and going into different workplaces that will hamper our recovery. So I suppose that the kind of element of it that that I'm dealing with, particularly around the economic side, is around Yes, having consensus around the the, the safe working practices that we'll need for the future. Um, But, you know, where possible, we should have it in other areas as well, because, of course, this is a national effort and it's something that we're all affected by. Um, When it comes to confidence in safety, the furlough scheme obviously has been extremely important in allowing people to keep their, their employees on, have that have the confidence that they will have those employees coming back to that workplace. But the Chancellor is looking at ways of winding this down in July. Now, if it isn't extended, either people will go back to work when they feel they're not safe enough to do so, or employers will drop them onto the unemployment uh, at the mercy of universal credit. And the unemployment figures will soar. How confident are you that this won't happen? Well, I think I think we have to somehow ensure that it doesn't. It's absolutely critical. A, a kind of nightmare scenario, to my mind, would be that scheme ending on the same date for a very large proportion of the working population. Now, of course, millions of people are on the furlough currently. 
you know, many of them may well be able to go straight back into their jobs, depending on the health of the economy and the lockdown arrangements. But a large number won't be able to go back in the same way. Now, to simply say that the furlough scheme will be cut off or will be radically scaled back without any longer term perspective and and support putting both for businesses and employees is going to be immensely damaging because we'll suddenly have a big bump in unemployment, very large numbers of people with similar skills going into the labour market at the same time with no opportunities and it will be regionally concentrated as well and concentrated in particular places. So we must avoid that outcome. I think that means looking at what other countries are doing in particular. Now, I accept the furlough scheme was very different for the UK. We've never had anything like it before. So it was difficult to set up and, you know, it's quite clunky, but ultimately I accept that was partly because it was set up at speed. But we've got to facilitate short our working within the furlough scheme so that employees can have a relationship with the workplace. They can be doing some of that development work now, if at all possible, you know, 30% or whatever it is, so that they can then still have actually a job to come back to because if businesses aren't kept going, then there just won't be the work for them to go back to full time. So we're really saying to the Chancellor, please, please look at this. Um, you know, stop looking at it just as, well, I'm, I'm not saying he's necessarily just been doing this or anybody else has, but don't look at it just as a way of banking people. Look at it as a, a tool for hopefully reintegrating people back into the workplace you know there will need to be some restructuring eventually as well but how can that be done in a way that doesn't increase unemployment um uh, so so that's the kind of thing that we're pushing on really around the furlough scheme um i can understand though that uh, the costs are spiraling and there is the bigger question in the longer term of where that money comes from, how we repay borrowing, etc., etc. So we understand that the, it's not uh, that easy. But you mentioned it being a bit clunky. Something else that's been extremely clunky um, is the coronavirus business interruption loan scheme. Um, and now on Monday, we've had the bounce back scheme launched that went live up to £50,000 for eligible small businesses. Has the money been getting through any better? Do the banks really have the capacity? Yeah, well, obviously we pushed for something like the bounce back loan scheme because we were very worried by the statistics. Again, in comparison to other countries, it looked like the UK was being a lot slower at getting that financial support out there to small businesses. So we were, we were urging, for example, um, 100% guarantee for, for quite some time before government said they'd be willing to apply that to the bounce back scheme. We don't yet have the data on how well it's working. Um, that is another area actually that we've been trying to uh, encourage the government to be more more open around because unless we have timely information, obviously we, we can't identify where the blockages are. Um, you know, government them, themselves seem to be confident that that support will be getting out there, uh, but we really need to make sure that it is there. I think allied to that, there then also needs to be um, more business support generally. I mean, again, this is something that over recent years there's not been so much of as I, you know, as we would have liked. But um, that's going to be quite critical, I think, for a lot of firms that, particularly those that aren't used to taking on debt, and there'll be quite a large number of them at the smaller end in particular. Um, and then I, I would just mention um, that actually for, for many manufacturers, 
there are quite significant issues with the different schemes with CL bills as well. Things like invoice financing, for example, very, very common in manufacturing, but seem to be impeding accessing funds through these different loan schemes. Um, that needs to be sorted out. There seems to be a difference between what's on paper and what's being implemented um, that obviously we're pushing on. Um, what are you hearing from your constituents? You know, who who do you think is falling through the cracks? And what are you saying to them? Because it's very difficult to be reassuring to small businesses and freelancers, for instance, who are not used to taking on the risk of loans, uh, who are not used to getting into debt, who run on very tight margins and are really anxious about the future. I mean, it, it is an incredibly difficult situation. And, you know, my um, my own father was a small businessman. He set up his own firm and, you know, worked very hard on it for a very, very long time. And I think the kinds of difficult decisions that people are, are faced with currently are, you know, really heartbreaking. People have put their heart and soul into their business. And now they're thinking, well, is this still going to be running this time next year or even on a shorter time frame than that? So... I think this is a very, very difficult time. I think we need to do all that we can to try and preserve that capacity in the economy. Um, you know, a number of measures have been put in. I suppose my concern has been that the implementation hasn't always been there, such that the funds have then, you know, got to where they need to be. Particular issue, obviously, I know for lots of small businesses that aren't business rateable or where there's a complex you know, system for the for the business rates being paid. Um, and I, I think you're right. I think those those falling through the gaps are finding it very, very difficult. But I guess just allied to that, the kind of context for all of this for individuals is that if you don't qualify to access help through any of the schemes that have been set up, the alternative is, as you mentioned, universal credit. Now, that is an extremely low rate of income replacement for the vast majority of people. You know, it, traditionally it's about 10% of average incomes that you'd be getting on universal credit. So it's it's catastrophic if you fall down onto that. Um, so I think that's why this is a particular issue in the UK, again, compared to lots of other countries that have got more, you know, more sensible approaches to income protection when people become unemployed. But we're heading, as we've talked about, to a huge number of people who are unemployed. Um, and we've also heard today about the fact we're probably going to see another 600,000 under 25s, graduates and school leavers going on to the dole, as we might have called it, um, because there are no opportunities for them. Um, and yet we're putting them into a system of universal credit that is basically a broken system. This yeah. will do long term yeah. damage. Yeah, I think it really will do. And, and you know, I think here we, we need to have as an imaginative an approach as possible. We need to look at what's working in other countries and what hasn't worked in our own. You know, if you think about the some of the big dislocations that we've had in the past year, nineteen eighties, deindustrialization, what happened in the pit towns, etc. You know, you know, we know what what didn't work there. We've had other schemes since, like Future Jobs Fund and others, New Deal, etc. Now they've all been controversial. But we need to pick the kind of positive aspects of that employment support um, and really turbocharge it, actually. I think empower regions as well and local government to be doing all they can around industrial coordination and around employment activation. Um, you know, we're, we're always told that, you know, if we're leaving 
the EU, then all the structural funds money will suddenly be made available. We still don't have any plans about how that's going to be used. And traditionally, that was used to help in these kinds of circumstances. So I think we've got to be kind of looking outside the box on a lot of this. Um, And I think it's very interesting, you know, comparing our unemployment levels, even now, how quickly unemployment has increased in the UK compared to some other countries. Again, it's gone up really quite a bit. So there's, there's an issue about, you know, kind of, how willing companies are to keep hold of people. That's something that we've got to look at, I think, for the future. Um, and you uh, alluded to it. Um, I didn't uh, necessarily want to throw Brexit into the mix, but isn't that perhaps um, one step too far at the moment? Well, what I've been trying to say when I've been having these discussions with those on, on the government side is, is just to think through particularly the implications of a, a no-deal Brexit. I think that's the, the, the major worry that, that so many have because you know, if we have additional trade barriers being placed on top of the really severe pressures that we've had on lots of supply chains um, in different industries, obviously you know, quite significantly reduced demand in a lot of other areas as well. You know, if we have extra trade barriers on top of that, that will be the straw that breaks the camel's back, you know, in the case of many, many businesses. You know, some larger firms might be able to weather it, possibly, you know, especially if they've got access to other lines of finance, you know, a bit like the impact of this current crisis, you know, they can perhaps deal with that and, and alter things. But for smaller companies, it will be really, really tough. So I think that awareness has, has got to be there. And my concern is that ideology could be kind of trumping a really cold, hard look at national interest in this case. You know, I, I accept that people voted to leave the EU. Obviously, I accept that Labour lost the last election, and, and you know that that is completely understood. Um, but I can't see currently the evidence that we've got that strong engagement to prevent, particularly a No Deal Brexit. And I, I worry for British business as a result of that. Um, I would suggest that the country was in a pretty poor shape. We have low wages, wage, lack of wage recovery since 2008. Uh, despite high employment, we've got lots of people in part-time jobs and in the gig economy, a quarter of people going into this particular crisis with less than a £100 in savings. We need a different response to the crisis. We need to create, somehow or other, a fairer society. And small businesses and the freelance sector, I think, feel that they have been left out of that conversation. How do we get a different conversation? Yeah, I mean, I I think that's absolutely critical. And I think there are tensions around this because so many of us are desperate to get back to normal. You know, we're desperate to be back to where we were before. But ultimately, exactly as you say, we, we can't have a situation where our labour market, our economy, and indeed our public services are so lacking in resilience that we can find it so difficult to deal with this kind of an event and it can have such a catastrophic impact on so many people's living standards. So we will have to change. Um, I think uh, there will be change coming, it sounds like, from the government side because they've said that the quid pro quo for the self-employed income support package is going to be a different tax system. Now, okay, that that may come and obviously we'll scrutinise that, but what we will be seeing is you can't do that without recognising the insecurity that exists around so much self-employment. Therefore, you know, you need to be thinking about how you can really bolster 
people's incomes and, and their working security, make sure that they have those protections there, do that in a, in a modern way, um, uh, obviously making use of the, the kind of different platforms that are now available as well for lots of self-employed people. Um, but I mean, I suppose I, I also think it's really critical that we look at some of the, I suppose, some of the competition policy issues. Now, these are coming up also because of the technological change that we're seeing. And it's really important that small businesses, um, I think, and freelancers are involved in that conversation as well, because we see how actually having that, that kind of smaller input um, can help to promote resilience in some of the really critical areas, you know, around um, uh, kind of remote working and all that kind of thing that, that is going to become, I think, the new normal for a lot of people into the future. We stand ready when the phone call comes. We will be there and we will help in that conversation. You asked on the 27th of April that the Chancellor worked with you, the unions, the businesses, the local authorities all work together uh, to develop a plan. Has there been a response? And if the response was yes, then we want to be at the table. Oh, brilliant. Um, well, I'm really, I'm really pleased to hear that. Um, I haven't had an explicit um, response on, on that call. Um, I am grateful to the Chancellor that he wrote back to me around um, some of the other issues that were raised in my letter. Um, uh, and obviously I've been, I've been trying to raise with him, in fact, a number of things that we've, we've talked about in, in this interview around the gaps in provision and concerns about access um, to support, etc. Um, but I, I think, again, I think we need to have that conversation. I mean, you look at the furlough scheme, that came about because businesses were calling for it, because the trade unions were calling for it, um, obviously opposition parties as well. And you know, I think the government recognised eventually, right, we do need to do this um, and work together to, to get it set up. I think we need to have that kind of an approach when it comes to us. You know, as I said before, the, the return to work, making sure that's safe, that it's understood by everybody, that there's confidence in it um, when the, the medical time is right. Um, and then also some of the, the forward-looking measures that we're going to need to put in place. Now, ultimately also, because we will be in a difficult fiscal position, um, we need to make sure that there is that kind of national consensus around the, the steps forward, where we can build it. I think that's going to be really important. Annalise Dodd, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Oh, great. Thank you. Thanks a lot. So thank you very much to the Shadow Chancellor for talking to me earlier on this week. It's a bit hard to get perfect sound, as I'm sure you'll appreciate, because we're all using Zoom and sometimes uh, broadband uh, does seem to dip in and out. Uh, we're hoping to get the Chancellor as soon as he's got free 10 minutes. Um, but in the meantime, we've got uh, in the meantime, we've got Declan Curry, our business editor, and Simon McVicker, our director of public affairs, joining Mickey and me. Um what did you think of what she had to say? Well, Simon. I think uh, she's probably glad she's not the Chancellor at the moment because I think the... I mean, this is such an unprecedented, immense um, crisis we're in at the moment that I don't think that politicians really have a watertight plan for what what to do. And um, I think there's a lot of wishful thinking and finger-crossing. But I think the problem that she didn't answer, and it's a problem that's been asked on the Tory backbenches more and more is if we continue with this lockdown, which seems as if we are going to, and this is going to go on to the end of May, how on earth is the country going to afford it? And how on earth can we get the economy back on its legs again and start generating income? Um, uh, and, 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 you know, there's no answers around that. And um, 
I mean, if we don't get it up and running soon, then we are really looking at economic catastrophe ahead. Declan? But what is the economic catastrophe if we lift the lockdown too early and then there's a massive uh, uh, second wave of infections? It's a balance, uh, Simon, this, isn't it, between uh, the economic risks and the health risks? And the two aren't really, can't really be uh, separated. They are intertwined. Well, I'm not sure that that's necessarily true, because if you look at the, uh, the, uh, the death rates, for instance, there's hardly any... A couple of hundred, maybe under 40-year-olds have died in this crisis. And really, you know, is it, is it really worth closing down the whole economy to protect maybe the elderly people when the younger people are, at most, they may, they may get a, a sort of flu-like symptoms, but at best, they're going to be completely robust. And this is their future we're talking about. This is their economy we're looking at. I think we all share the concerns, Simon, without question. Um, you know, it, it, it's, as I said, I think it's the politicians and the scientists that are going to lead us out of this, and I don't envy them the task. But I suppose what worries me most about the proposals put in place by Rishi Sunak was, A, what's going to happen to the rump of the debt for lending to these businesses, particularly if they're not there when we come back, and secondly, the furlough situation, of course. Um, you, you can't keep paying these people out of taxpayers' money forever. I can only assume that all this debt we're accumulating will be runoff balance sheet. In other words, you'll do exactly what we did with the banks, um, which is why we've still got 62% of Royal Bank of Scotland. Um, you know, you don't have to crystallise that loan until you want to do it. So this could run on for generations, to be perfectly honest. A bit like war loan. And that's the model, Mickey. The model is the bailout of the banks in the last economic crisis. And we may well see that a lot of the debt uh, that companies incur, which the government is guaranteed, which doesn't get paid back. And remember, the, uh, I think it was the Fitch Credit Agency this week said that it expects the major high street banks to lose £25 billion this year because of loans that will not be able to be repaid. We could well see the government taking equity stakes in businesses. We're back to that again. Uh, and then winding that uh, debt down over the process of many years. But what's the alternative? The alternative is you have an enormous increase in unemployment and all the uh, economic detriment that that causes. Um, it just seems to me that, uh, as Declan says, I am so glad not to be anywhere near being in government and having to make those decisions at the minute. But let me bring in uh, Johnny Radcliffe, who joins us now. Johnny is a businessman who runs offices.co.uk with two employees. And Jonathan applied for a bounce back loan earlier this week. And I think I'm right in saying got it. But Jonathan, what do you think? Um, what do you what what do you think of what? Annalise has said, what do you think of what the guys are discussing? Um, you you know, small businesses, as she pointed out, aren't necessarily used to taking on debt and don't want to have to take on loans. No, I mean, for me, I, I'd never, ever consider taking on a business loan. Um, I've always um, made my own money, proud of that. Um, I'm independent and um, I, think, I think that goes for a lot of small businesses. The proud people, uh, debt is, is, is not good. Um, and yeah, I've basically this week taking on £28,000 worth of debt. Um, I don't need it just at the minute, but 
I am hedging against the unknown and honestly I don't know what's coming. I have to put food on the table for the family. We just don't know. Um, and I and a lot of the business people I know are taking this view now that, you know, what's happened has just been amazing from a real boom. Everybody was really uh, positive and gung-ho. There's big investment going on. Uh, the businesses I was involved in, in, in the office space industry, there's huge money was going into new buildings, new developments. Um, and almost two weeks after that, we're facing just an absolute collapse of everything we knew. So you ask me now what I need to do to put food on the table, which is ultimately what it comes down to. And that is having some money in the bank that can access uh, when my savings run out, which I presume they're going to fairly soon. So, but you, but you've got a situation, John, where, where basically you've t- you've taken out a loan. It will have to be paid back, and you've just seen, like any other business, a massive hole pumped pumped into your your cash flow. You you know the money's not there. You're not going to get it back. Well, I, yeah, I, I've got a number of problems uh, that I wake up in the night with. So. My turnover last year was 116,000. So that means I can apply for the um, bounce back loan of 28,000. There's other issues though, because um, there's VAT. So this, uh, the quarter just gone, I've I've just done that. Uh, My VAT bill's 4,000. I don't have to pay that till the end of the year. I've got my um, summer personal tax to pay, which was um, about five or 6,000. I don't have to pay that. So what I've done is, or what the government's allowed me to do, is kick this can down the road. Now, my... but do you think do you think your business is going to be the same when you come back? Because you're 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 in the office business, and to be honest, one of the things about the lockdown is people aren't working in offices. It it's changed, hasn't it? Um, I'm very small. This is quite a new uh, venture for me. Uh, the, my company's been going longer, but this. this part of it is new um, and I sell I get paid a commission on putting pe- people in flexible office space now for me I'm, I'm quite a positive person but I see this as as an opportunity for my business me being one person um, I've taken on somebody yesterday um, so in terms of my business it's an opportunity there's a guy made redundant who was um, very well thought after in the industry and I can now hoover him up um, and employ him so that my business is is set to try and grow through this. <laughs> we, we'll, we will see. Um, but as an, I'm an entrepreneur, I, I, I look at the positives and the, and, and the opportunities that are coming out of this. Um, in the office space, people are moving around already. Um, and that's an opportunity for me to get involved to hoover up what the big boys are losing. I I I've got a low cost base, you know. There's just me and this other guy, so you know we've got a good opportunity here for us. Lifting the crumbs off the rich man's table, <laughs> if you like, yeah. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> but Johnny, what, what, what does the you... whole? Sorry, Mickey, to cut across. I just no, wonder what what Johnny makes of the whole working from home. Uh, trend that has now caught on there are going to be uh, 
businesses that look at this when the lockdown ends and say, actually, it works better for some of our employees. It saves us money on having to have offices. We're going to keep our people working from home. Um, yeah, so if I give you an example, I have a client in Leeds looking for an office for 30 people. They've got two choices. They can either take a lease on an office or they can go into a flexible office. So you look at their, the month is about £10,000 on each. Their commitment um, would be £120,000 a year times five on the leasehold. Now they're signing up for the whole commitment. Or if they go on a flexible, then they take an agreement for 12 months, but with three months notice. So you can imagine the figures, the, the differences here. And you refer to, to people working from home. And the view is that actually some businesses where people want to work from home long term, that, that that'll just be fine now. You know, everybody's Zooming or uh, we, we're used to working from home. We've got that system set up. And what we're going to see, we think, is... Um, office space either staying the same or moving slightly smaller but there'll be this um, I wouldn't describe it as hot desking but a desk share scheme where 30% of, uh, of your staff will work permanently in an office and then this 70% will so you may um, have three days uh, a week in the office and two days from home or vice versa and different teams will come in on different days that's, that's what we think, don't we see? Making sure the desk gets a good deep clean in between teams. Well, I'm thinking that's the business to go into, cleaning now. <laughs> you know, because there will be more cleaners in the office than there are personnel. Um, you know, I, I suppose that's, that's the whole point of it, Jonathan, is that these things, people see it as a demise, but others see it as an opportunity. Can I uh, ask you to apply the back-in-business crystal ball to this? and look at what what are we going to look like i mean is this a permanent shift are we going to see a lot of onlet office space sitting empty for the next few years the way we did after 2008 when offices closed down simon what's the whole what's the whole work environment going to look like well i mean there was a lot of talk the work environment would change after 2008 and it really got back to a normal sort of mode although there was a growth in self-employment and freelancing and obviously these these work hubs grew up all over the place um humans do like to get together there's no doubt about it and that social side is really important but a lot of these um, futurologists have been talking about working from home and working alone and working online and um, maybe that's all come a little bit closer after this this pandemic. Johnny, last word from you. You're the one in the office business. What's your crystal ball telling you? Uh, I think short term, I think the nice to haves for freelancers and the self-employed that who are working out of the um, expensive, nice co-working, I think will get hit. I think on the larger side, you'll see um, more regional um, offices. So large London institutions splitting staff across the country to reduce costs. That was already happening anyway. This just supercharges that decision. It's already happened, people working from home. And the medium, I think, will stay the same. You speak to people and people want to go back to the office. People are at home. They're, they're not having that social interaction. You, the sales teams and other teams are struggling to communicate properly. Um, you can have hours of Zoom conversations, but if you just want to ask a question, 
that's that's the problem. So overall, yeah, small. I think the co-working people will struggle, but they can flip those offices into private offices, which I think will increase. Um, people going back to work will have to have two meter distances and private offices more so than huge open plan. I've read countless articles already saying this. So an open plan office can be divided up within a week. So yeah, they will struggle, but they will adapt and, and, and companies adapt quickly to these things. So I can see Mickey dialing his broker as we speak. <laughs> Thinking about where he's going to, going to make some money out of this. <laughs> and, I can, I, and I can see his broker hanging up. <laughs> yeah. He knows I'm skinned. I mean, it's worth, worth remembering, everybody, that 80% of the UK economy is made up of service companies. Um, service companies pitch for business and then they fit within the cost range. So that's why they're very labour intensive. But of course, that varies from job to job, simply to enable them to make a profit. The good thing about service companies is they can adapt to new trends much better than a manufacturing company can. So yeah, a manufacturing company can switch from making widgets to respirators one week, but it can't keep doing it week in, week out to suit the economy. And, And that's the problem facing manufacturers. Agile, they're not agile, Mickey, like you. No, not like me. <laughs> not like you. Dumbo. All right, look, before we go, let's get an update on government schemes and so on, what has been happening around the country. Declan, you've got your finger on that pulse. Can you bring us up to date? Well, the money is flowing. Uh, UK Finance, which is the trade body for the banks, says they have now lent over £5.5 billion to small businesses using the uh, coronavirus business interruption loan scheme. The British Chamber of Commerce, though, says the money is still taking too long to arrive under those schemes. It's coming a lot quicker under the bounce-back loans. There were 69,000 applications from the very smallest businesses on day one and much of that money was paid into bank accounts as early as Tuesday unless you were banking with Barclays. Some of its customers were complaining about problems with the website even as late as Thursday. Barclays has apologised and says that it is uh, looking into what the hold-up is. There are issues with uh, some applications for grants and loans in Northern Ireland, issues over how you verify uh, that you are self-employed. Some of the more commonly used uh, methods of verification there are not being recognised by the system. The local executive says they are looking into it. And there is one growth business that I spotted this week. Graham's Dairy, which supplies milk and butter to the supermarkets, says butter sales have doubled because we're all baking more bread at home. That has to be Mickey <laughs> with his flowery hands. As it happens, my <laughs> missus is in the, in the kitchen next door cooking muffins and uh, a lemon drizzle cake. Not for me, <laughs> I hasten to add. Well, so, and, yeah, and obviously we don't get to share it. So that was very kind of you to let us know what was I'll going let you have there. a peek of it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like the way Declan looked at me when he talked about Barclays. Nothing to do with me. I'm, <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> For just, a change. Just, just, to let you, just to let you know. Yeah. And, and there, we've got to go. Yeah, yeah. Thanks to everyone, particularly the listeners. Um, as they say, it's time to go. We'll be launching... The first of our Q&A sessions next week, looking out, look out for that, keep an eye out for that. And on next week's podcast, we'll be talking about 
being self-employed uh, in the current climate, which is obviously difficult, but then it applies to all of us as well. And in the meantime, tell us your stories, your experiences, your thoughts. Email us at contact us at backinbusiness.org.uk. Visit the website, find us on LinkedIn, and we're on Twitter at business underscore backin. See you next week. <laughs>